you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you, Lord, carving out this time to hear from you and spend time with you intentionally um, and spend time with people and community here. Lord, we ask to um, quiet our heart and our minds. Lord, speak to us. Open our hearts to hear your invitation, Father, to step into a daily rhythm of rest and a weekly rhythm of Sabbath. Lord, rid me of who I am, Father, and fill me with who you are so I share your heart. In your precious name, amen. If I have not met you yet, I am Lisa Stonehouse. I'm the Director of Discipleship and Care here at Harbor Life. Um, and it is a true gift to be able to be here with you this morning. So we are a few... It's humming. Do I need to move? No, just keep talking. Okay. Um, we're a few weeks into our series of working through the book of Genesis. Over the past few weeks, Brent has walked us through Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We've talked about some tools for reading scripture. Um, we looked at where we start our story matters. If we start with who we think we are from Genesis 3, as horrible, worthless people, we then spend our entire lives striving and hoping to be good enough for God. But the Bible doesn't start at Genesis 3, it starts at Genesis 1, where it suggests that God sees us in the way that he made us, created in his image, a reflection of who he is. He sees the core of who we are, and he loves us deeply. If we start there, in that place that we are loved because we are created in God's image, if we allow that tender thought to be woven into the way we think about our own story, we can see that that lens brings healing and it's going to change everything. We talked about the God of Genesis 1, where he creates, he's big, he's powerful, he's intentional, and the God of Genesis 2, where he forms, he's gentle, he's intimate, he's with us. He's both a king and a father. And last week, we talked about Eve and the serpent and control and sin. And if we believe that God is for us, and we accept that he can do a better job of being God than we can, then we can accept that reason that he tells us to avoid sin because it hurts us. And it separates us from having a life of flourishing. God is not this angry judge who wants to punish us. But instead, he is a faithful, kind, and loving father who is inviting us in to a life of trust. To trust him enough to guide us through this process of taking care of these areas of our life that have become twisted. And he restores us to where he wants us to where he created us to be. Genesis tells the story of humanity, both the good and the bad. Genesis is where God starts his story and where he invites us to join him. 
Today, we get to see how he invites us to join him in the rhythm and the rest of Sabbath. There's a rhythm to creation. There's a rhythm to creating. There's a rhythm in our work, and there should be a rhythm to our rest. There is a really beautiful rhythm in intentionally pausing to celebrate Sabbath. That was exciting. (laughs) I want to talk today about how we can create and plan our rest. How we can create boundaries and find rhythms of rest. Why rest is crucial to our wholeness. Who liked Sundays as a kid? Anybody? I did not either. They were so boring. And then we had night church. I'm not knocking night church. I'm just saying we had night church. I had to put my dress back on and my wadded up tights that were still damp in the toes from wearing my patent leather shoes. It was miserable. I know that my parents did what they felt was best, especially based on their upbringing, the upbringing of generations before that Sunday was a day of nothing. But... What if we've not all fully understood what remember the Sabbath means? Let's see what scripture has to say about rhythm and rest and Sabbath. Will you turn with me to Genesis 1? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing pit on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground... Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Every other day through the creation story, it says, And God saw all that he had made, and it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the first, second, third, fourth day. On the seventh day, though, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Resting is holy. The day that God chose to rest is the first time that he names something holy. God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He delights in the role he made for them to rule over creation. And we see that even before the curse, work existed and it was valued. 
We were created to be productive, to reproduce, to bear fruit. We weren't just made to exist. Then, in the midst of having the whole world of stewarding to do, the very first thing that God invited Adam and Eve into was the holy rhythm of rest. In the first two chapters of Genesis, God both works and rests. Do you see the rhythm to the six days? There was evening and there was morning, the first day, the second day. Six days of evenings and mornings. Then on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Rest here in Hebrew means to cease. And all means the whole. So he ceased from the whole. He rested from all the things that bring unrest. We are called human beings, not human doings, for a reason. God created us to be with him, and it's only from that place of being with him that anything truly productive can be done. We were made to work from rest. The Jewish culture reflected this idea because the timing of the day in Genesis was night and then day the Jews began their day at sundown. This allowed them to rest in the goodness of God and get up from that rested place. Only from a place of being rested can anything productive be done. God desires us to return to that rest often. He loves to remind us of that original intent for us to live fully created in his image. God's creation is giving an inhale for all of us, and that Sabbath rest is the exhale. This pattern that God established in Genesis, it didn't stop in Eden. Rest is listed in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, we read, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Here God is affirming the rhythm and the goodness of work and the sacredness of rest, beautifully woven together. But the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or, f- male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This is the only command in the Ten Commandments where God says, remember. And I think because he knows us, I think he knows that drive and that ambition and the busyness that overcomes, but God says, remember. He actually commanded us to rest. It's right up there with don't steal or don't murder. It feels like it matters. The degree to which we can take our workaholic tendencies, we can take them lightly, it's weighed directly against this passage. John Mark Comer says, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that Christians in America brag about breaking. Just think about that for a moment. 
I feel like we're all bragging about this, breaking this commandment, unintentionally bragging about it, right? How busy we are, what errands we had, how full our calendars are. We're busy people. But God knew we needed rest. Our physical, spiritual, and mental well-being depends on our commitment to rest. Not just an occasional nap, a late-night Netflix binge, or a 30-minute couch hangout scrolling Instagram or TikTok. That isn't rest. Resting well requires obedience, discipline, surrender, and delight. Deuteronomy 5 retells the Ten Commandments and adds this little nugget. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the fourth commandment, as given in Deuteronomy, supports the rhythm and rest with a different argument because of God's deliverance to his people from Egypt. So God is taking rest seriously to remind us that we are his children, not his slaves. If you're a parent and you think about that, you little faces of toddlers or babies, they need rest. They need a nap. We are his children, and that's one of the reasons he is inviting us into or even commanding us to rest. It is a blessing. It is a gift. Resting in God and abiding in his presence is the only way that we can flourish in what we do. Let's look at how Jesus steps into these rhythms of rest and of Sabbath. We'll first look in Mark 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. This is a good example of a daily rhythm. Jesus got up early and spent time with the Father. Then he was bombarded by the needs of those around him. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. That's how our lives feel too so often, doesn't it? Everyone is looking for me. Everyone wants something from me. I usually feel like they get the best parts of me, not the Lord, until they don't. Because I'm frazzled, barely holding on. Life just keeps barreling forward. We're trying to meet everyone's needs. Oftentimes, we are running on empty. And when we try to get away, they find us anyway. Texts, emails, little hands reaching under the crack of the bathroom door. Full calendars, deadlines, to-do lists. These unhealthy rhythms are, are, these are unhealthy rhythms of not resting. And if we're honest, they're the ones we've created and we've allowed. These are the things that make us feel like we're going bananas. They're clamoring for our attention and they seem to get control of our lives. And a lot of times it feels like they're winning. What if we stopped? What if we intentionally stopped and rested by abiding in Jesus? What would our lives look like 
What would we look like? What would our souls look like? I will never stand up here and share a sermon about something that I haven't wrestled with or lived with, that I haven't been convicted by or challenged by. I've been studying and reading on rest these last weeks and realized I was completely out of practice with resting. My personal devotions were inconsistent. I was zoning out, regularly numbing my mind by scrolling through Instagram or TikTok while feeling all kitty wampus inside. Definitely not my favorite feeling. I wasn't working from or even living from a place of rest. I decided I didn't want to feel that way anymore. So I decided to stop. I intentionally carved time these every single day the last month to spend time in scripture. I scaled way back from scrolling on my phone at night and I picked up reading again. I read three books in January and I'm on my second one for February already. I stopped falling asleep with a comfort movie on and I've allowed darkness and prayer and quiet to be my comfort instead. Driving back from a couple basketball tournaments in Indiana with my kids, I prayed at night instead of listening to something. Choosing to find him, choosing to stop, to seek him in that solitary place is changing every wild feeling that was controlling my heart. Life is still a thousand miles a minute. Everyone still needs me. But this intentional, steady, abiding rest is starting to change the climate of my soul. Joy is the undercurrent of rest. And people who are rested make for a peaceful home. And that affects everything. If you keep reading in the following verses, after Jesus was in that solitary place where his disciples said, Jesus, where are you? Everyone's looking for you. This was his day. He preached in the synagogue, he drove out demons, and he healed a man with leprosy. And what was Jesus' response to that full day? He began his day by putting a barrier between himself and the loud call of unhealthy rhythms. He began his day by leaving the house in the dark alone. He spent an intentional time of solitude with the Father, the only place that we find true rest. And then he responded to these demands, these people, with peace. And that is an important practice for us too, because this solitary rest can function as a barrier between our life and these unhealthy rhythms. Ideas for creating a solitary space. It could be a room in your house. It could be a specific chair at a specific time of day. After the kids are off to school, where you're alone. Or maybe where everyone is in bed. Or before everybody gets home. It could be a park, a spot in the woods, sitting at the beach. Choosing a place and a time that is accessible for you on a regular basis. I'm usually in my room. This is really goofy, but Netflix has a fire 
So I put the fire on my TV and I light a candle and I create this space where it's just me and the Lord. And I can hear from him because I've paused and created a solitary space. And I've found that the more time I'm spending with him, the more I crave it, the more I carve out time for it. There is not a wrong way to practice this, this time of rest with the Lord. As long as we are alone and we are quiet, our hearts will begin to find rest. Find a devotional, work through scripture, sit in stillness, do breath prayer or listening prayer. As long as we are turning our attention, our thoughts, our hearts to God, we're engaging with him. It's not really the how of rest. It's the heart behind the why. Jesus practiced this solitude, and he modeled for us a daily rhythm. You can read it all through the Gospels. Jesus went off to a solitary place and prayed. He spent time with the Father. It's over and over This is a daily rhythm that tunes us into the God who created us, who delights in us, and who loves us more than we can even imagine. It tunes us into the heart of the one who knows us. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. More and more I'm learning how true that is. And Jesus also practiced a weekly rhythm called Sabbath. And I will read from Mark 2. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So we learned that the biblical idea of Sabbath is to cease. It's a 24-hour period of resting and not working. Now, for generations, people have sought to interpret that into their own context and have done what Jesus was warning against. They created their own set of Sabbath-keeping rules that took place, that took the place of it as a gift. That was the heart of it, that Sabbath was a gift. Things that people deemed unlawful. We don't buy things on a Sunday. We don't go out to eat on a Sunday. We don't play with our friends on a Sunday. We don't turn on the TV on a Sunday. I was talking to my dad about this this week, and his family was Christian Reformed, and they were not allowed to watch TV on Sundays. But his cousins were Reformed, and they were allowed to watch TV on Sundays. Um, My mom's aunt, they had a swimming pool in their backyard, and they were not allowed to swim on Sundays unless it was 90 degrees out, because somehow, like, 90 is holier than 89 or something. I don't know. I wasn't allowed to play with friends um, on Sundays. 
And one time my parents let me, and I was probably about 11 or 12, and um, my friend and I decided to go in a paddle boat. It was kind of like when fall started. And so we were in her pond in this paddle boat, and there was a snake in the water. And it's really scary in my memory, and it's probably not as scary as it was, but I stood up and grabbed this tree to like push us away from the snake, and I fell in. And I was wearing my favorite outfit. They were um, stonewashed black jeans that were lined with flannel, like a buffalo check. And when I cuffed them, you could see the cuff. And it matched my flannel shirt, and it was so cute. And I was in the pond, and so I went home. And I, my mom was in bed napping, and I thought, I have got to get this outfit off before she knows what happened. So I was in the laundry room. I got the shirt off just fine, but my jeans were wet, and they had flannel on the inside. And so anyway, I had to get from the laundry room into my parents' room so my mom could help me with my jeans. And I, um, that kind of ended Sunday afternoon playtime for, for our family for a while. But I'm not knocking anybody's parents or grandparents or older relatives at all. They followed these kinds of Sabbath laws of not doing fun or pleasurable things, right? It was church, dinner, maybe a relative's house, nap, church, bed, right? It was a boring day, a day not worth remembering. But I feel like that was our own lawmaking and twisting the heart of what the Sabbath was. It sounds more like man being made for the Sabbath than the gift that Sabbath was made for us. This quote from Pastor Eugene Peterson, he wrote the message. It hit my funny bone and it blew my mind all week. There is a swear word in it, but there's truth that I think we need to ponder. This is his quote. A widespread misunderstanding of Sabbath trivializes it as designing it a day off. A day off is a bastard Sabbath. Whoa. A day off is like Labor Day or Memorial Day or maybe an added day to the long weekend. Those kinds of days do not usually restore or refresh us like the Sabbath that God is inviting us into. Sabbath is so much more than a day off. It was made for us. It's a gift. It is a gift because he knows we need it. He knows we need to stop, and we're probably not going to do it on our own. Observing Sabbath as a day off makes it trivial. And I have been so convicted this week when I look at my life and the rhythms of my life and what Sunday is. Sunday is not, I'm not entering into the gift that it is. I'm not stopping. I'm usually getting caught up on laundry or making a grocery list or I'll take a nap, but then you go back to the things. But that isn't resting our souls and that is a gift that we're not opening. Walking Sabbath out well requires obedience. It's discipline to stop. It's a surrender of a to-do list or things that might help our week maybe be a little bit easier, we think, if we get it done. But it's delight. Delight. Sabbath rest is the starting point to delight-filled flourishing. It's the reward to practice Sabbath rest is to build a new rhythm for our lives. 
one where rest is not a reward for work, but where our work actually flows out of our rest. Sundays, the Sabbath, it's not a battery recharge station. It's not a boring day of doing nothing once a week. Sabbath is a gift that rewires and refreshes our hearts. It's a gift to disengage from the rhythms of the world and to step into the rhythms he created for us, to intentionally quiet ourselves. Sabbath makes us pause and do things that bring joy and deep peace and rest and remind us who is holding our world while we receive from him that purposeful and meaningful gift. It's the gift to worship together as a faith community, together reordering our mind's attention and our heart's affection on who God is, slowing ourselves down for a 24-hour period because he knows we need it. He called this kind of rest holy. This gift of Sabbath rest is compelling. It's making my heart long for a deep, intentional Sabbath rest and ask myself the question, how am I going to do this and do it well? We have rest and we have Sabbath. We can understand it. We can think about how to apply them to our lives and step into that rhythm. But how do we actually shift from a head understanding to a heart understanding of why this matters? To actually receive this holy gift? The night before Jesus died, some of his last words to his disciples, he's continuing to talk about the importance and value of rest. This is one of his last conversations he had with them, and this is what he's wanting to leave with them. Let's step into that vineyard that night and hear his heart for his disciples, his heart for us. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I shared this shape a couple years ago, but I don't know of a better visual that depicts the heart of Jesus inviting us into this rhythm of rest and Sabbath. And I know I needed that reminder, so I want to share this picture with you again today. In this pendulum picture, there is the rest side 
and the work side. Rest has abide and prune, and work has growth and fruit. We saw that God affirms the rhythm of the goodness of work and the sacredness of rest with the two beautifully woven together in the Ten Commandments. We are called to be a productive people, and that only comes through the rest that abiding in him brings. We saw that Sabbath rest is holy. If we are not resting and abiding in him, we are not going to produce anything. We see this undeniable pattern in nature. Abide, grow, fruitfulness, pruning, abiding. From abiding, we grow. From growing, we bear fruit. And from bearing fruit, we are pruned, and then we, are ret- we retreat back to abiding. These are beautiful descriptions of these words. Abide, to remain, continue, dwell, reside, to rest. In the Greek, the meaning and the heart behind this word is to remain and expect something in the future. That's pretty amazing. If we do this, we can expect that it works. Growth, progress, springing up, developing maturity, becoming larger or greater over a period of time to increase in substance. Fruitfulness, producing good, useful, desired results. Pruning, trim by cutting away the dead parts, especially though to increase our fruitfulness and our growth. To reduce the extent of something by removing unwanted parts. There's the rest side and there's the work side. Abiding and pruning are times of rest. Choosing rest, choosing that quiet can feel like work sometimes, but it's really the intentional rest of the Lord in us as we allow him to do the work in us while bearing fruit and growth being the the real time of work. You abide, you grow, you bear fruit, and then the Lord tenderly and kindly reveals to you where you need to be pruned and then you abide. This is a gentle rhythm. He is rest. He is calling you, wooing you, inviting you into this rhythm of rest. He says to us in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest to your souls. In our abiding, we find him. In our abiding, God is calling us into a rest with him. In the solitary place. What brings you life? What gives you life? Plan your Sabbath rest around this. When we abide in Jesus, all of our questions about how we Sabbath are answered by who we worship. Empty your calendar one day a week. Play games as a family. Eat a great meal together. Have friends over to eat that meal with you. Maybe it is a long nap. Maybe it's painting, crafting, photography, the hobbies that fill you with joy. Maybe hunting or fishing. 
Maybe it's mowing your lawn or gardening. For me, mowing my lawn would not be rest, but some people love mowing their lawn and it would bring them rest. And it gives you a time of quiet to think about the Lord. Go for a walk or a run. Light a candle, turn on worship music. Maybe it's being by water, relaxing in a hammock, intentionally putting your phone away. I know for me that's something I'm going to challenge myself with on my Sabbath is to put that away because it clamors. Oh, one, one more email. Oh, what is this notification? To put it away. Spend time with a friend who is life-giving. Read a book. Sit around a fire with your favorite people. Listening for his voice, speaking to you through all of those things that bring you joy. These things represent delight and refreshment and restoration. I love this version of Psalm 91. Whoever rests in the shadow of the Most High will be kept safe by the Mighty One. I will say about the Lord, he is my place of safety. He is like a fort to me. He is my God. I trust him. If you think about your kids and the delight and the safety and a little fort that you make for them, that, that's who resting and abiding in God creates in us, that place of safety. We can trust him. We learn to trust when we rest and when we abide. That is where we learn that he really is worth trusting. When we abide with God in the Sabbath, in unshakable confidence will shine in us from the inside out, enticing others into that gift of rest as well. All those things, this abiding, we will find ourselves growing. And our growth is the result of this right rhythm being established in our life, the rest and work. We must abide in him before we grow, and we have to grow before we see the fruit. Growth happens before fruit is produced. Growth changes us. Sometimes, in some areas, we see it quickly, and while others, it takes a bit longer to notice or it's harder to do. But our growth comes from learning and knowing how to abide, how to intentionally rest. And what is the fruitfulness that comes from this product of growth, that comes from abiding? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, the Bible says. Those who belong with Jesus and have crucified the flesh, it's a fight to stop our lives for 24 hours. Put that away. And we live, and we can do that when we live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. It's when we are abiding in him, growing in him, we can't help but bear the fruit that a full Sabbath rest brings. Sometimes it does take time for that fruit to appear, but when the Sabbath rest of Jesus has touched our lives, this fruit will come in abundance. Isaiah 30, 15 says, Only in returning to me and resting will you be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. We bear the fruit that Sabbath rest brings. As we bear the fruit that this rest brings, we learn the ways to deepen that. And the ways we learn to do that are through pruning. 
I love the flowers on my deck in the summer. I enjoy tending them and pruning them, taking off the dead leaves, taking off the dead flower heads. I do it carefully and purposefully so they grow more flowers, so they bear more fruit. That is what this pruning process does to our hearts. It makes us more beautiful. Pruning is seeking this restful holiness for our lives. We lay down the things of life that are clamoring for our attention. We cease the things that are keeping us from rest. Our ambitions, our agendas, these earthly things that are vying for our attention. And that can feel painful sometimes. Sometimes seeking holiness is painful. Pruning involves cutting. Cutting a branch that is still green from the vine because it's a part of us, that ambition, the rushing, the to-do list. Romans 2.4 says, though, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. He's not up there waiting, watching for us to mess up, to answer an email on a Sunday or to wash the dishes or do a load of laundry. He is there continuously inviting us into rest, even when it's painful, especially when it's painful. We need to prune those unfruitful behaviors in our lives. I need to prune those unfruitful behaviors in my life of not resting on a Sabbath. When we allow ourselves to be pruned, that is when we find that gift of deep Sabbath rest. When we surrender that he comes first in our lives, when we accept this gift of rest, we will exhale a breath that we probably didn't even know we were holding. We are reminded that life is in the vine. When we begin seeing the abundance of this fruit in our spiritual lives, our trust deepens. And the next time that God invites us to prune something in our, in our lives, we trust him more that it's worth it. We begin to long for that abundant fruit. When we put God first in our lives, when we give him our undivided attention, when we welcome his rhythm and place our trust in him, we will bear the fruit that true rest brings. Abiding growth, bearing fruit, being pruned, abiding. It's a beautiful, steady rhythm, a rhythm of grace. Abiding in Sabbath rest allows us to encounter God. And when we encounter him, we are changed. My encouragement for you this week is to embrace the gift that rest brings to find spaces in your daily rhythms for a daily rest in him. The challenge I'm giving, myself included, is to figure out how to intentionally step into a weekly rhythm of observing a Sabbath day. What would that look like? Personally, in our families, 
What are we willing to surrender to experience this gift that a true Sabbath rest brings? I read a book this week called The Sabbath. It was written in the 50s by a Jewish theologian. And I'm going to close with a quote from his book. The Sabbath is the most precious present mankind has received from the treasure house of God. Will you receive this gift of holy rhythm that Sabbath rest brings with me? Will you pray? Father, thank you for knowing us so much and loving us so much that you knew we would need rest. Father, I pray that we are obedient to that command of the gift, God, to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Father, give us creativity and ideas to learn what a Sabbath rest would look like in our lives. God, I pray that we can encourage each other and ask each other, how are you going to do this? What's the heart behind it? Lord, we ask for clarity and discretion as we do this. God, give us encouragement. Lord, we will see the fruit that rest brings. And that will change us. And that feels exciting. We love you. Amen.